Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 9 this morning. Pick it up in verse 14 as we uh, continue our study through the book of Mark. We're with Jesus as he travels along the road to Calvary. Uh, We saw uh, in the last couple weeks that Jesus began to speak to them about the cross, about suffering and about redemption and all of that and uh, for them, uh, they didn't understand that. They, they wrestled with it. They struggled with that. They, you know, they're on such an incredible role successfully, you know, for the last two years in ministry. And then he begins to speak about the cross and suffering and, and death and resurrection. Um, and they're thinking, you know, what's happened to him? Is it, you know, he seems like he's gotten negative. And, you know, Peter tries to correct him. And the Lord has to take Peter aside uh, and rebuke him. And so now they're just, they're basically heading, in a sense, his ministry is in the shadow uh, of the cross um, as uh, he moves toward, uh, toward that day and that time. Uh, and yet we find that he continues just to minister along the way, touching lives. And we pick it up in verse 14. This morning here is about a, a boy who, who is touched by the Lord, who, who's healed and uh, wonderfully, miraculously redeemed. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them uh, and the scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him. They greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you uh, discussing with them? And then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought my son, I brought you my son uh, who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. Uh, He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Uh, So I spoke to your disciples, but they could not cast it out. um, Or to to cast it out, rather, but they could not. And he answered them, and he said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and saying to it, uh, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly. And came out of him, and he became as one dead, and many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for your marvelous grace. We're thankful, Lord, for the gift of faith. 
And Lord, we're so grateful for the things that you do as you reach into people's lives. We thank you, Lord, for the redemption that we've experienced. And Lord, uh, so often, Father, as we, Lord, look at the, some of the things that are going on in our world today, and we know that, Lord, you're the answer. Lord, we know that with your intervention, Lord, lives can be changed, souls can be saved. And Heavenly Father, we thank you as we come before you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word of God and the truth and the blessed Holy Spirit. And Lord, we need you to take your word and to apply it to our lives. Father, even though this incident took place, Lord, 2,000 years ago, Lord, we see here wonderful principles. We see, Lord, what you can do. And Father, as we look at our culture today, we realize, Lord, there are, there's uh, many lives, Lord, that are Lord, in a struggle for life and death. And Lord, we pray that as the gospel, the truth of Christ, Lord, comes and, and touches lives, that the Holy Spirit would awaken people. Lord, deliver them from the darkness. Lord, we see so much darkness out there in our culture. And we thank you that you're the Lord of light. And as you come, Lord, into situations and circumstances, Lord, you wonderfully deliver people. Lord, people that are in spiritual chains. Lord, their lives are just enslaved to all kinds of crazy things that are going on in our world today. But Lord, you come and you just speak your word. You speak your truth, Lord, into those darkened situations. And Lord, life comes, light comes, insight, understanding, Lord, freedom. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that, Lord, uh, you have, Lord, done a wonderful work in our lives. And Lord, we long to see you working in others. So, Lord, may you use us. And Lord, may you help us to understand these things. Father, uh, as we deal with very difficult uh, situations, Lord, in this day, in this age. So, Father, we praise you and bless you. Uh, we commit this time to you. Lord, may you be glorified. That's always the end game, Lord, that you would be honored, you'd be pleased, that you'd be glorified. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, if you remember last time, last week, uh, we were on the mountaintop uh, with Jesus and the disciples, three of his disciples. Uh, and you remember, you know, Peter, he was asleep, uh, you know, during the transfiguration um, when it seemed to be as if Jesus, uh, along with, uh, you know, having a meeting there with Moses and Elijah, it's like he went back to his, you know, his former glory. And, uh, you know, Peter wakes up and he sees it. And, you know, of course, we know he opens his mouth at the wrong time. Um, kind of typical of Peter, I guess you could say, that uh, he tended to speak up at the wrong time. And, uh, you know, the Lord had to, um, the Father actually had to speak and said, <laughs> in a very nice way, you know, uh, this, you know, this is my beloved son. Hear him or listen to him. You know, Peter, stop talking. And sometimes, you know, we can be talking so much that we can miss really what the Lord has to say. And Peter says, you know, afterwards, he says, it's, you know, it's good that we, could, we were here. And, of course, it was a good thing. But now they're coming back, you know, down the mountain. And, of course, if you've ever had a mountaintop experience, uh, you know, you've been with the Lord uh, maybe on a retreat or something like that or some special emphasis where you meet with the Lord and you're just kind of refreshed and renewed and blessed in a wonderful way that you, uh, that, uh, you, you come down off the mountain, so to speak, uh, 
and all of a sudden there's some confusing, crazy situation. And, and of course, that's what they're going to find. You know, the devil is at the bottom of the mountain, ready to meet them. And it's, it's, so, it's so typical, isn't it, uh, of the devil and of Satan? He's always trying to rob a blessing. Uh, here they've been blessed. They've met with the Lord. And so they come, as, as Jesus and these three disciples come down, the other disciples that didn't have the opportunity to be on the mountain are down there disputing, and there's an argumentation going on. And it just seems like the devil is in control almost of the whole situation. But, of course, we know that when Jesus steps into any situation, there comes peace and restoration. Uh, he's the Prince of Peace. And that's why it's important also, too, that if there's confusion, if there's things going on, we need to pray. We need to pray and bring the Lord, in a sense, you know, into the context, you know, asking him you know, to come into the situation, to bring his peace, um, and to bring some kind of help in the situation. And I think the disciples learned a lot from that, just like you and I. We learn from these everyday experiences that we go through. Uh, we, we learn what Jesus is like. We learn, you know, particularly, you know, lessons. And one of the things that we learn, I think they were learning too, they were learning how <clears throat> in and of themselves they were incapable. Um, that is something that is a revelation. I think it's an ongoing revelation. I remember as a new believer, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I placed a lot upon, you know, myself and, uh, and I think as a, as a result of that, I, I experienced probably uh, uh, a tremendous amount of failure uh, because I thought, you know, since I have faith, I can just sort of do things. And uh, I wasn't really totally reliant uh, upon him. And we're learning always, I, I, you know, our particular limitations. Uh, and that's a part of the life of faith because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to be, to be praying. You know, the Bible says pray about all things. Um, and we always want to be bringing the Lord, you know, into the context of our situation. We need the mind of Christ. You know, Paul said we can have that. We can have the mind of Christ about any particular given situation. doesn't mean we have the mind of Christ all the time. I kind of wish we did. I think we can. I think as we, as we learn from making our own mistakes and calling our own shots and doing our own thing, you know, we kind of learn more and more that we do need to depend on him. And we can have, you know, in other words, the mind of Christ is just simply to think to think in the proper way, in a biblical way, in a godly kind of way. Um, you know, there was a, a, a uh, program a few years ago, and they had the little wrist bands, you know, what would Jesus do? And, uh, and it's true. Um, you know, what would he do? How would he respond in a particular situation? I know I don't always respond uh, in a given situation, like perhaps maybe Jesus would, but I know as I go through those things, um, I think, you know, some of, some of our most bitter lessons uh, is where we learn. Some of our greatest failures is where we learn to just simply, you know, trust him and, and look to him as we go through that. Because I think when you go through a real painful trial, it's like, I don't want to go through that again. And, uh, and so we can learn just like we find the disciples here. They're learning to, is, to just rely more on his help and his intervention. So the scene opens up here in verse 14. Um, the disciples here that have been waiting at the bottom of the hill, they're surrounded by a crowd. They're arguing. Uh, they're debating there with the, you know, the scribes. And, of course, they probably didn't know as much Scripture as the scribes knew. And I think sometimes, too, you know, you and I, uh, we may feel sort of you know, intimidated uh, to maybe witness because we think if we start talking to some maybe you know, in very intelligent person that they'll maybe... Uh, you know, be able to shame us or we won't be able to really argue our point in the right kind of way. And I think you need to be 
I, I think we need to be careful that we don't allow that to just basically defeat our faith. Uh, God will use anything, uh, you know, that he puts on our heart to bring out in a given situation. Um, and I think also, too, one of the things that I've learned is when I get into those situations, I realize I don't know it all. And I've learned also, too, how to, how to, to, to confess that. And, uh, and I always look at it as an opportunity to come back, maybe at a later time. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, that uh, uh, we're, you know, one of the things I tell folks when, you know, somebody says, uh, well, how can I really learn the Bible? Well, one of the greatest ways to learn the Bible is teach it. When you begin to teach the Bible, you know, in a, maybe a small, uh, you know, Bible study kind of setting, you can learn a tremendous amount because you're going to be studying, you know, that portion of Scripture. And uh, one of the great ways of learning the Bible is just basically studying it and sharing it with other people. Uh, I've known a lot of people over the years that have uh, uh, opened up a Bible study, gotten permission from their boss to open up a Bible study, you know, on the job, wherever the case may be, and they gather together with a handful of, of folks. And certainly those folks are from all different kind of theological backgrounds and different churches and all that. And there may be some different viewpoints and that sort of thing, but that's okay. Uh, I think it's an opportunity, basically, to get the Word of God out. But for you and I, the blessing is, I think, just you know, studying it. When you study the, the Bible, you learn it. And, of course, the disciples here, they're arguing with the scribes. And uh, you know, they're, probably, uh, uh, they're probably somewhat dumbfounded because the scribes are you know, the authorities, the theological authorities, where these were the guys who penned out the Scripture. And so Jesus here arrives on the scene. And what I love about Jesus, he always comes to our rescue. You know, he's always there, and I like what he says, you know, uh, here it says, uh, uh, he says, what are you discussing with them? Uh, he, he comes to the defense, you know, of his people. That's why, you know what? You don't need to defend yourself. Uh, sometimes we can be so defensive, and, uh, you know, David writes that in the Psalms, the Lord is my defense, and we need to allow him to be the one who is going to defend us. Uh, it's so easy sometimes to just sort of open our mouth, and, uh, and I think sometimes when we are defending ourselves, uh, that's probably the least time we're really communicating truth because we're just simply trying to defend ourselves. And um, so, you know, I think, you know, let Jesus be the one uh, to defend us like we see here, um, you know, with he and the scribes. And, of course, we get no details of this conversation. Um, I just kind of wonder sometimes if, if, if when the Lord just sort of came into a conversation, if the authority of his presence made the statement. Like, just like, God's here. And, uh, and I wonder sometimes uh, if that happened. It's like all of a sudden he is there and his incredible presence uh, just stifled, you know, all the unbelief or all the, you know, all the, uh, the questions or, um, you know, the argument or what the case may be. And I kind of think, think that that probably happened a number of times uh, when all of a sudden, you know, he just came into the situation. Maybe he just said something in a very brief manner, but just the authority of who he was. He was the Word of God made flesh. He was God Almighty in sandals. Now we find in verse 17 a distraught parent. Uh, as he brings his son... Uh, to Jesus. Uh, the disciples uh, couldn't do anything for him, but uh, certainly the Lord can. And he says this, he says, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth. 
he gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Well, one of the things I commend about this parent is, first of all, he realized that this was demonic activity. Now, one of the things also, too, that, we, that you know, a lot of times we find in Scripture that there's not a doctor can help him, not a disciple can help him. Uh, this boy had seizures. And in this particular case, now I, I want to really specify this, that not all seizures are demonic. That's in a very extreme position. I've known some people who have had seizures. I have, I have somebody very close to me who has seizures, and they love the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people that can have you know, neurological uh, or organic problems you know, relative that would you know, create the epilepsy or whatever kind of seizure you know, it is. But this one here uh, is, is demonic. And I think, too, it, it gives you an insight also how sometimes Satan can mimic something. Uh, where he can mimic this particular, you know, sickness where maybe people thought, well, you know, maybe it is, you know, epilepsy. But again, the Lord, he can discern it. He knows he sees beyond those kinds of things. And that's why I think we need to be very careful uh, how we judge these kind of things, how we look at those things. Um, you, know, we, you know, sometimes if you've ever been around a person who has Tourette's, uh, it can be, uh, you know, it can kind of uh, catch you off guard. <laughs> Uh, when all of a sudden they blurt into the, you know, uh, you know, blurt into the whole situation, something he, they're thinking. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this person, you know, has a demonic activity in their life. And, of course, this one here, we, we, you know, we see that is the case. And, uh, <clears throat> and I think, too, you know, when you look at uh, this, this whole particular story, it can be very perplexing, I think, to parents, uh, particularly today when it comes to, you know, some kind of bizarre uh, behavior. You know, I, I think that there can be behavior and things that go on in the lives of, uh, and you know, Satan doesn't play fair. He, he certainly goes after children. We see that. Uh, and it must be a very difficult thing for parents when it comes to some kind of behavior, bizarre behavior. Uh, you know, one of the things too, I think that the church has even been guilty of this. I mean, the church at large, that we don't see anything outside of this realm. That the only thing that exists is what we can see in this realm. But the Bible gives us an insight, a picture into that other realm. Now, we understand the world, you know, kind of mocks it, um, you know, as far as, you know, they caricature the devil and that sort of thing, and they mock it. They don't give it any kind of really serious consideration. And, and as I say that, I want to be very careful to say that... that we don't want to take an extreme position. You don't want to see the devil in everything, okay? But I think the church, it's important that the church, God's people, we need to have discernment. We need to have a spiritual kind of discernment because, you know, we can, discernment is God showing us something that we just cannot figure out with our ordinary, everyday knowledge. And we see this at work in the life of the ministry of Jesus. As a matter of fact, we see it later in the Gospels, or excuse me, in the, in the Epistles, uh, where, where Paul is telling us that, that we can have, God's people can have these gifts of, of discernment, uh, the gift of the word of knowledge or the gift of wisdom, to have insight, to understand things that we couldn't normally in our own, you know, with our own finite understanding, we could not figure that out. And see, God sees all these things. He knows all these things. And, um, and he, he had sometimes, you know, will, will give us an insight into that type of thing. And again, I think uh, ever since, um, you know, in my lifetime, 
I, I think there's been a, probably a, a lot more demonic influence in our culture than probably previous cultures. And, it pro and it's probably, if anything, related to the drug usage uh, that started in the 1960s and the 1970s and all the different, you know, the, 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 you know, the different types of drugs that uh, open people up to this, you know, this alter other consciousness. And, um, and I, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've known a lot of friends and I've seen a lot of, you know, those kinds of experiences. And I think it's created. I think it's created and it's, it's opened things up uh, to this generation, to the past, you know, probably last 40, 50 years, uh, that other generations, in a sense, didn't experience. And one of the things that I've noticed, too, uh, that's, I, think it's a, I think it's a big issue, and, and that is the acceptance of the occult. Um, we call it now, we've redubbed it. Uh, we call it the New Age. And, um, and instead of, you know, instead of, um, you know, demonic... Um, having a conversation with you know, demonic agencies, you know, spiritual agencies, we call it now channeling. It's been sort of, been, everything's been sort of renamed and that sort of thing to make it, you know, the, the Satan's interesting in a sense that he packages things different for every generation. And uh, so we need to be very careful. We need to understand as we look at, you know, the Bible. And that's why, you know, you can't, under, we really, there's no way you can fully understand or apprehend those things uh, unless we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to give us insight, you know, in the Word of God as, to, as far as to what's going on, you know, in that realm and in the spiritual realm, particularly if, one of the, if that realm touches our life in some kind of way. And what I'm talking about is parents, they have to deal with sometimes bizarre behavior in children. I think it's tragic when you have little children that are five and six years old, and already at that age... They're going through gender confusion. I think that's so pathetic. I think it's so sad and tragic. And I think it's tragic for the parents. Uh, I see sometimes parents trying to accommodate their children with uh, sexual reassignment surgery while they're still kids. A and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And we see these kind of things taking place in our culture, in our society, where other cultures and society, other generations, rather, haven't really had to deal with those kinds of things. So there are things that are, that are demonically inspired. And when I say demonically inspired, it doesn't mean that people have to be demon-possessed. They don't have to be. And I've had my experience with that kind of thing because my mother was into the occult. And it, was, and it brought it brought horrible stuff into our home. It, it was tragic and it was terrible. And this is even back in the '60s. And I can remember going over to, and, and we were all, you know, we were all kids that went. To, we were all Catholic families. We all went to Catholic church. And I go over to my, I remember going over to my buddy's house one time. I walk in, and here's the, the whole ki kitchen table surrounded by women with with candles there and having a seance. Like, What's going on here? Well, they're having a seance. Like, oh, really? And I can remember, too, my mother would use uh, the, the Ouija board. And, and she would ask it the questions, and it would answer these questions, and it would freak me out. It was so weird. I mean, there's another realm out there. And the Bible gives us a, 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 a picture, you know, a window to see that. And, and as far as I'm concerned, I want to stay away from that as much as I can. But we need to be aware of it. We need, and the Bible will incrementally, as we go through the Bible, it will give us those insights about those kinds of things because they're real, folks. 
And we don't sometimes realize how real they are until they touch our lives or they touch our family in some kind of way. Now, obviously, in verses 19, Jesus here uh, is frustrated with the disciples. He says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Remember, this is the third year. They're going into the third year of training. And who's their teacher? Who's their mentor? God Almighty. The Word made flesh. 24 hours a day, they're camping out. They get up in the morning. I mean, he's always there to invest in them, to pour into them. And it's interesting, he says it, not me. He says, even at this point, they're faithless. Now, we might say this. Well, that was before Pentecost. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. They could still apprehend and have faith even before Pentecost. Because if somebody before Pentecost couldn't have faith, what about all the Old Testament saints? What about Abraham, you know, the, the father of the faithful? So you can understand Jesus' frustration, you know, with these guys. And, of course, uh, you know, he's working to build faith into them. Uh, he knows that they're going to face in a very short time. That's why you know something? The Lord oftentimes speaks into our life. I've seen how he does it, and he's done it in my life and in the life of, of others as well. Sometimes, you know, we're headed into a difficult chapter of life. And there's going to be things that he wants to prepare you for. You can't avoid that difficult chapter. We try our best to avoid trials and all that sort of thing. And, and, and uh, um, we all try to do that. But the fact is there are situations and circumstances that, that is necessary that we're going to go through. Uh, they're going to be, they're going to be uh, faith strengtheners. They're going to deepen our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are going to be things that before you get to that point, that he's going to speak into your life. And that's what, in a sense, he's trying to do here. He's trying to prepare them. He's trying to get them ready. And that's why it's important, you know, uh, you know keep reading your Bible. Stay in fellowship. You know, be involved in a, in a prayer group. These are very important things. Be witnessing. These are very important things that we really need to do to really keep healthy. Because God is always, he's always speaking something, you know, into our life. He knows the future. Uh, he knows exactly what you're going to need. You know, it's like it says in Psalm 139, he knows our thoughts afar off. He knows you, what you are going to be thinking about in five years from this exact moment. You or I. He knows where we're going to be. Uh, he knows what we're going to need. And he is working. He is working to equip us and prepare us because he wants to use us. And you know what? God, just like a, uh, uh, God is the perfect parent. And every parent wants their kid to succeed. The Lord wants you and I to succeed. He wants us to grow in grace and knowledge. Uh, he wants us to, you know, to, to, as we go through our trials, uh, you know, to deepen our faith and to know him uh, in a deeper and a, in a more wonderful way. Now, we see in verse 20, the spirit convulsing him. Um, as Jesus comes into the scene, he's, he's, he's on the ground, he's wallowing, he's foaming at the mouth. And it shows us the defiant tenacity of Satan. He doesn't want to release people. That's why if you're witnessing to somebody, man, keep praying for them. Because as soon as they leave your presence, the devil's already whispering in their ear. He's already trying to nullify whatever truth you've spoken into, into their lives. So if you care about somebody and you're witnessing, don't just, just witness to them and, you know, forget them. 
Man, pray for that person that the truth that you've spoken, that God can take it, you know, into their heart and into their life. Because, you know, Satan doesn't give up without a fight. And many of us are praying for individuals and, and people that have heard the Lord. Maybe sometimes somebody that's grown up, grown up around Christianity. And, and yet you're watching their life. You know, you're, you're watching their life make all the wrong turns. And men, you're praying. You're praying for, for the Lord to just intervene. You're praying for the Lord to protect them, to work in their life. And you know, the beautiful thing about praying is that you don't, you know, you just, you, you're giving it to God. You're giving that person to God. And what happens is, is the Lord brings all these other influences into their life you may know, know nothing about. Because he's so incredibly creative, isn't he? And he can do that. And the wonderful thing is, sometimes what you said to somebody, he'll bring somebody else along and just basically confirm it into their life. Well, yeah, gee, that's, what's, you know, that's what so-and-so said to me, too. And so God has a wonderful way of just sort of, you know, uh, you know, taking those things that we share and we pray for somebody, we intercede. And I'll tell you what, you know what? Prayers work. Prayers work. I think that's why a lot of people give it up. It can, it's, it, 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 it's a struggle. And as much as we love teaching the Bible, as, love, love, as much as we love preaching, Jesus said this about the church and about his people. He said, you shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer. <laughs> Not a house of preaching. Uh, we don't want to diminish preaching. We, we, put a, you know, we assign you know, great value to that. It's important to declare truth, amen? But not at the expense of prayer. We need to be people of prayer. God honors prayer. And be careful that the devil doesn't just lie to you. He does this all the time. Well, my prayers don't work. We say that. We think that. You know, we pray for somebody for a certain period of time, a certain length, and it's like, okay, well, I guess, you know, they're not going to get saved or, you know, I, I just don't have, the, I don't have the ministry of intercession. I'm not a prayer warrior. You are. God calls each. That's why the Bible says to all of us, pray at all times. And do you know the ministry, the ongoing ministry of Jesus presently is intercession? That's what Hebrews 7.25 tells us. He ever lives, he always lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And that's why sometimes you pray, and I, when we're praying, we, we, just, we, don't, even, we don't realize what's going on spiritually, but we enter into the intercessions of Jesus. The other morning, it was Tuesday morning, <clears throat> I came and I, I shared it with the guys um, that meet on Tuesday morning for prayer. I said, man, I woke up this morning, and God just, I, I, no sooner my eyes were open, I woke up, and it was like somebody was on my heart. And it was just like I had this passion. I mean, you just don't get that in the morning when you wake up, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> climb out of bed, and, you know, make it to the bathroom and scare yourself as you look in the mirror. But uh, <clears throat> I just woke up with this passion to pray for this person. And, man, I knew that was the Lord. I knew that was him just putting, you know, that person, that situation. And he'll do that with you. We need to pray. We need to be willing to pray. Prayer is incredible because, you know what, you've got access. That's why, the, what's it say in Hebrews chapter uh, either 3 or 4, um, that we can, he invites us to come boldly into the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. And when you discover more and more, it's like we need to all the time 
be into the th at the throne of grace because there, there's always some kind of need. There's always some kind of situation. But he says, and again, to the original audience that heard that, what do you mean come boldly unto the throne of grace, into the holy of holies? Yeah, that's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus Christ has paid an incredible price for you and for me to have access to the throne of God. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is access. And the beautiful thing that I see about this story here, and it shows you the power of faith. It's just like, remember, we told this story about the, you know, the, the, the four guys who brought the paralytic to Jesus. And it's interesting, it said Jesus saw their faith. Now, this boy who's demon-possessed, he's got no faith. As a matter of fact, he's, he's trying to destroy himself. And it shows you how God honors the faith of the praying saint, of the person who is willing to pray, that, that your prayers, my prayers, can set people free. That's, that's how much God desires to save people, to deliver people, that he will hear the prayers of someone else on their behalf. I, I wonder, relative to all of us here, who was praying for us when we actually came to Christ? Verse 21, <clears throat> Jesus says to the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father says from childhood, what, what do you think about those who, you know, exploit children? Sad, isn't it? And we hear of it more and more. And sometimes when I hear the situations, there's such an anger, such a, such a righteous anger that kind of rises up within me. You know who Satan's number one target is? It's children. He goes after the weak, the immature, the vulnerable. He has always sought to do that. That's why we need to, man, we need to be praying. We need to be praying. One, one of our great prayers, one of our consistent prayers uh, in this church, in the prayer meetings, is praying for the youth culture of our communities. That, that God would just reach out and save youth. There, there's been a man uh, who attends his church, um, one of the men in leadership, and he's had this dream. He keeps sharing his dream with me. He says, you know, Pastor Ray. And he said, it's like over the course of, you know, a couple of years, he says, I've had this dream like four times. He said, I looked in the sanctuary, and it says, filled with young people. And it just reminds me, in a sense, what God wants to do. And every time I think of, you know, him sharing that and, and, and how we've been praying about that, it's like I'm saying, Lord, do it. Lord, bring it. To reach out and to touch lives. Set kids free. Man, they have, they are Satan's number one target. I was telling the first service about an organization that's been around for over 40 years, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and these kind of organizations exist, kind of under the radar, people don't even know about it, but it's, uh, the acronym for it is NAMBLA, and uh, 
the name of the, the title for the organization is the North American Man-Boy Love Association. Almost sounds noble, doesn't it? It's a pedophile organization. You can go to Wikipedia and read about it. And, and they're, work, they're working. They had, to, they had to go underground in the 1990s because there was so much government and public pressure against them. Oh, but they still exist, believe me. I've kind of wondered, you know, when, when we look at the LBGT uh, acronym, uh, what's the next, you know, LBGDT, what's, what's the next letter that's going to go on there? And there have been certain groups of people uh, that basically they, they want all laws removed uh, so these pedophiles can, uh, and, and, and we all know situations where young people have been affected by that, haven't we? Tragic. But we need to pray. I look at the little kids, <laughs> um, and I just, I, I look at little kids and I see, you know, they put such a smile on my face, I see their little hearts and the joy and all that, and I pray for them, Lord, protect them. Sometimes I'm praying for people, little kids. I, I don't even know them. I don't even know who they are. But I'll see them, and it's just like, you know, Lord, watch over that little one. Sometimes I'll see this little kid out by the street, and uh, just this little kid, little thing, nobody around. I say, oh, Lord, put an angel around that little one. Watch over them. Uh, kids are uh, they're a target. And um, in, our, in our culture, unfortunately, does not really protect them. We give lip service to it, but we really don't. We, we don't. we don't really protect them in a spiritual way, as we should. Verse 22, often, this boy, he has thrown himself into the fire and into the water to destroy himself. And, and, and you can imagine, too, many parents today have to deal with the self-destructive behavior. And a lot of people don't connect the dots, but there's a demonic influence with self-destructive destructive behavior. What, in the last 10 years, the, the cutting thing. But, but suicide, suicide has taken an incredible uptick in our society and our culture out there. Th these are, you know, the thing I've always said about suicide, it's a permanent fix to a temporary problem. And, and sometimes when someone's inexperienced in life and experienced emotionally, that they have no idea because they see, they feel their situation is absolutely hopeless. And the fact is, it's a passing thing. And, and I feel so sad when I hear about some youngster, some young person, by suicide has taken their life. And it's, you know, it's crazy when you see some of their so-called friends talking them into it. I mean, what, what, is, what has happened? What has happened to America? What has happened to our culture? What has happened is this. We've moved away from God. When you move away from him, you move away from common sense. You move away from morality. And the sad thing is, is you look around at the culture, and they accept this kind of stuff almost as norm. But he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on, else and, on us and help us. You see, the one thing that this father does that turns the tie for his son 
is that he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you can do anything. It's a prayer. If you put it in the context of our need today, it's really that of a prayer. But when you come to Jesus, he can do something about it. He longs, like I said, I've often said this, he wants to answer our prayers more than we want to pray. So if you can do anything, and again, it's a simple, sincere prayer. Now look at verse 23. Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know, when you come to Jesus, all of a sudden there's a realm of possibilities that opens up to you and me. But there was a condition here. And it shows you how important faith is. The condition is, you know what? Will you believe? Jesus says, will you believe that I can do this? Because I think there's a lot of circumstances we have in our lives. We kind of just, you know, our faith hits the wall. We kind of give up. And we just, we, and maybe an indication of that is we stop praying. And we stop believing God and expecting the Lord to do great and wonderful things. You know, there's something, I think there's a theology sometimes when you look at the Bible is that, oh, God doesn't do those things anymore. Well, if that's the case, what about this? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think sometimes some of the miraculous things and powerful things, wonderful things that God wants to do, he can't do them because there isn't that believing faith and trusting him. So Jesus says to him, if you can believe all things are possible to him or her who believes. There's a whole realm of possibilities that open up when we decide we're going to trust him. And it's not having faith in our faith, okay? Some people believe that. Well, if I could just huff and puff and blow this, you know, mountain down. No. The Lord's just saying, trust me. Trust my promise. Trust my word. Trust me in, in a sense of what I can do. And sometimes when God answers those prayers where we trust him, he may do it a little bit differently. I think a lot of times, too, you know, our faith, we feel that God doesn't live, let's be honest about it, we feel that God doesn't live up to our expectations. And sometimes we may have a wrong expectation of how God's going to do it or when he's going to do it. He just says, trust me. No matter how long it takes. So immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I love this father's response because it, to me it's just so profound. It's profound because, you know, it's absolutely sincere and totally honest. I think sometimes we're afraid to confess those kind of feelings and things we have in our heart. I mean, a lot of times I've kind of very, I felt like this too. You know, Jesus said if you have faith, it's just so small, it's like a, a little grain of a mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? Man, it's, they're, they're really small. He said, but if you have that much faith, even that much faith, and it shows you the power 
of trusting God, believing God in what he can do. He says, if you have that kind of, if you have that degree of faith, you'll say to that mountain. And it's not that we remove literal mountains, but the mountain spoke of an obstacle. And oftentimes in the life of faith, there's these, uh, these obstacles. And no matter what station, what time you are in life, there's always going to be some kind of obstacle. But as we believe him, as we trust him, as we continue to look to him, he's the one who removes obstacles. Doesn't mean the obstacles are going to flee immediately. Sometimes he wants to, I think, just draw out our faith. Are we going to continue to trust him? I'm sure you have these situations going in your life like I do, that there's a number of circumstances and situations right now that I'm praying about and I've been praying about for a long time. And I've seen some breakthrough recently. In the last year, I've seen some breakthrough, and man, I am blown away. I am so blessed. I'm so thankful. But there's still a number of situations and circumstances that I'm waiting for God to work in. And there's one. I'm praying for somebody that, that, that's out of state, um, <clears throat> somebody I've known for about 10 years. They're an unbeliever, and I'm praying for the Lord to just intervene and save this person. But at the same time, too, you know what? I don't think he's savable. Now, as far as God is concerned, no, no shortage there. No problem there with God. The problem's with him. He's so rebellious. He's so carnal, so selfish. And I said this to the Lord, I, and I pray for him. Even though I believe that, I still pray for him. I said, Lord, you know how I feel about this. But if you save him, I will be glad to be wrong. I'll never be so glad to be wrong about that whole situation. I don't think he's going to get saved. But I've had the Lord surprise me before. Lord, I believe. But Lord, help my unbelief. I love the honesty of this guy. You don't have to be afraid to be honest with God. You don't have to hide anything from him. The Bible says everything is open and transparent, naked before him, with whom do we have to give an account. To be honest with him. Because he knows. He knows anyway, right? He knows everything about us. There's times where I said, Lord, uh, you know, the Lord told me to do something. Like, I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. Lord, you're going to have to make me willing. And you know, he did. He did. And I think Jesus is saying here simply this. Believe in him, his person. Because he can do all things. He, he can work miracles. And sometimes we're frustrated. Why don't you, Lord? I've been praying about this situation for so long. And I can't understand all those dynamics. You know, why he doesn't work on my time schedule and the way I want him to work. But I know he hears me. And he's just saying, you put your faith in me.
you, you just trust me with this. I've got it under control. And I think, too, that when we confess our unbelief in that kind of way and in our struggles, I, I think faith blossoms. I, I think our faith just blossoms as a result of just being transparent. You know, it's amazing how we can be so transparent with certain people. Do you have somebody like that in your life? You know, you're just like a, like, a, like a friend, a close friend, or your spouse, or a buddy, or whatever the case may be, and, and you have no problem of just being totally transparent and open with this person. You know they're not going to judge you, you know, that kind of thing. There's a freedom kind of there. You know what? You can do that with the Lord, because he's a friend, the Bible says, that sticks closer than a brother. And you know, you've got a brother or sister, they just love you, you know, so much, And whatever it is that you go through, hey, the Lord will love us more. So remember that. You know, just open up your life, your heart to him. Now we see in verse 25, now Jesus speaks here, rebukes the spirit, uh, says, come out of him and enter him no more. Man, his word has authority. The word of Jesus Christ has authority. His word has power. And we need to remember that too. You know, when we're speaking to folks. You know, when you give them truth, when you give somebody truth. Sometimes, you know, we think, well, that didn't go anywhere. Hey, there's something wonderful about the truth of God when it gets into a person's heart, into a person's life. It does things that we cannot do. So Jesus' word, it has authority, and we see it here. Come out of him, enter him no more. Spirit cries out, convulse this boy, became as dead, and to many, uh, so many said that he is dead. You know, the point is here, the principle is, you know, Satan doesn't give up without a fight. And that's why you know what we need to fight too. What did Paul say? Fight the good fight, okay? Uh, we, we, in a sense, in our prayers, we fight for people's souls. And God honors that. I've seen him turn around so many situations so many lives. But, you know, Satan doesn't give up without a battle. He is tenacious. He fights to hold on to people. He gets his claws, you know, into their life, so to speak. Some powerful addiction. Something that, you know, that nobody, no human power can break that. Only Jesus, when he comes into the context of that situation, And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And don't you love the personal touch of Jesus? Don't you love the fact that we've got a personal God? And he's always touching people. (laughs) And that's why when you pray for people, Lord, touch their life. (laughs) He does it. Has ever been, you know, I remember one time there was a guy in the gym. I didn't like him. I just didn't like this guy in the gym because he stunk. All the time. It's like he, everybody didn't like the guy because the whole gym just stunk up, you know. And, uh, and I remember just, oh, man, why does that guy keep coming here, you know. But, you know, he would be the kind of guy that Jesus would touch him. Jesus would reach out and touch somebody like that. I mean, he would touch lepers. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this coronavirus, you know. This could be a forerunner of some of the plagues that are going to happen during the day of the Lord. I think these are little previews. I think they're little forerunners. But it reminded me of the, of the plagues of the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. 
And you know who the people that ministered to the sick? Christians. Christians. Nobody else wanted to touch them. That's the heart of our God. Reaching out to touch the untouchables. And God may bring somebody. Like this guy in the gym. I didn't even want to be in his airspace. <laughs> it's like, yeah, stay over there, please. And the Lord just showed me how weak I, you know, I was at that particular point. And God brings people, you know, into our lives um, to minister to because he wants to touch them. And, you know, isn't it, isn't it, it's amazing. There's something healing. There's something so healing about a touch. And that touch that you may put your hand on somebody's shoulder may be just the thing that the Lord uses to just reach out and minister to the life. And sometimes the smallest thing, sometimes the smallest thing, the heart of our God. His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? They were so helpless. Why couldn't we do that, Lord? Because, you know, they were used before. Remember, he sent them out before. They were healing the sick, raising the dead. Where'd the power go? Where'd the power go? What, what happened, Lord? We laid our hands on people before. You raised them up. You healed the sick. You cast out, we cast out demons before. We were raising people from the dead. Remember when he sent them out on that short-term mission. Jesus said this, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Listen, I realize this. I've been around long enough to realize this. Not everybody can fast, but everybody can pray. And this was the lesson for them. This is why, in a sense, they lost the anointing, the power, the grace, and whatever wherewithal that they needed because they weren't praying anymore. They were, leaving up, they were leaving the prayer up to Jesus. And even though we have to be careful of that, folks, we have to be very careful of that because, yes, we know he's ever living to intercede for you and I, but he still calls us and invites us in to this ministry of prayer. And it just very well may be that as you get back into a pattern of prayer in your life, that you'll sense a fresh, fresh blessing, a fresh anointing upon your life. And God will be using you in a wonderful way. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. But Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray that you would bring us ever closer. Lord, in this ministry of, of prayer, You've given us great access. Lord, you've called us. You said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Father, I pray. Lord, we've been asking for a year of jubilee. 
soul set free. Forgiveness, redemption. Lord, transformation in our, not just in our church, but in our communities, Lord. In the cities of our country. We want to see people come to you. And we want to be a part of that, Lord. We want to appreciate, Lord, when we see, Lord, somebody in great need come to Christ. Lord, we want to be able to have the wherewithal that we need to speak into people's lives when you give us the opportunity. Father, I thank you for those that are here this morning. And we thank you for your word, Lord. Your word's a light. A light to our feet, a lamp to our path. And how I pray, Father, as we go forth from this place, that because we've heard your word today, that, Lord, our faith would be strengthened. That, Lord, we might honor and please and glorify you, Lord, with our lives. And we pray like this man. I believe, Lord. But, Lord, help those areas in our lives of unbelief and doubt. Lord, transform them. Turn them around, we pray. And be glorified, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.